Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Reformational Anglican Podcast, where we'll be exploring how the richness of the Anglican faith can help equip the church today. Your hosts on this adventure are myself, Ryan Scott, and my compatriot, good friend, and as of recently, chicken farmer, Sam Pelo. Sam, how are you today? Doing okay, yep. Yeah. Um, yes, as you were saying, we, uh, my wife and I purchased some chickens uh, just over a week ago. I think we've gone three days without a, a breakout attempt, um, so that's that's pretty good. We've even got a couple of eggs out of them. Um, yeah, it, it's like we're living in like a real life edition of Chicken Run. Um, we we had fences up, sort of garden trellises turned into fences, and uh, turns out chickens are like eighty percent feathers. Um, so it's a bit like the scene out of um, Terminator Two, you know, when the T one thousand just walks into the into the bars and merges mm. through the fence. Um, so we've had a had a few breakouts, but um, uh, they seem to be they seem to be better contained now. Hopefully, excellent. So as you might have uh, seen, you're currently listening to the Reformational Anglican podcast. Uh, so what is the Reformational Anglican podcast? Uh, well, as you might have guessed, uh, both myself and Sam are from Northern Ireland, Ireland, uh, whatever you prefer, and we're really interested in exploring what Anglicanism. Uh, is all about. We're both originally from the Church of Ireland, uh, which is the Anglican Church in Ireland. Uh, and we're also studying at an Anglican college in England called Oak Hill Theological College. And we're interested in exploring how the richness of the Anglican faith uh, can help the church today. So what then is Reformational Anglicanism? Reformational Anglicanism is uh, Anglicanism as it's uh, defined at the Reformation. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Um, uh, so it's it's Anglicanism as it's defined through things like the uh, the Anglican formularies, the the prayer book, the thirty nine articles, the uh, the ordinal. Um, it's it's essentially the uh, the articulation of the Christian faith from uh, that period of the English Reformation. Uh, it's a branch of it's a branch of Christianity. Uh, the title of the podcast is really stolen from a a book edited by Ashley Knoll and John Yates, which is called Reformation Anglicanism, uh, which is well worth uh, well worth reading. Yeah, I have it here in my hand at the moment. It's uh, it's well worth getting your hands on. Uh, we'll say just at the start as well that we uh, we are not experts in these things. Uh, both of us just have sort of one year of theological education. Uh, but we're really sort of interested in exploring these things and sort of forming a community of people who might be interested in learning about them together. Uh, and as uh, as we go on, we sort of want to hear from you, really. Uh, if you are out there and you're interested in exploring these ideas more, and we'll hope to maybe form a community of people who uh, want to talk through these things more. The second thing to say is, uh, in terms of what we want for this podcast, uh we don't really want to be uh, sort of polemical. Uh, we don't want to study uh, what Anglicanism is just to debate with others about it. And we're quite aware that sort of what it means to be Anglican theologically is something that comes under a lot of debate um, and a lot of confusion. And so we're not really interested in just sort of studying these things in order to uh, debate with others about them. Uh, we're not sort of fashioning weapons in order to uh, clobber other people with but when we're talking about Reformation Anglicanism, uh, we're talking uh, about church history and we're talking about the tradition of the church. 
So I guess before we go on, uh, we should maybe think a little bit about why should we actually care about tradition at all? Do you have any thoughts on that, Sam? Yeah. Um, well, so I was uh, I was visiting um, some of my dad's cousins recently, and uh, they had us around for lunch, all socially distanced, of course, and they brought us into uh, their study. And my dad's cousin has has photographs that I'd never seen before of uh, my great grandparents. Uh, my great grandparents were long dead by the time I was born, but it was really interesting to hear these stories about our our family history. Um, so, in one sense, we we care about church tradition because, as Christians, that's our it's our family history. Um, in another sense, we're uh, I think caring about tradition is is a humble posture. We're saying we're not the the first generation to pick up our Bibles. We're not the first generation to try and. Uh, organize a church to try and uh, gather for worship and so we care about how uh, other Christians who who also have the spirit who have lived in uh, uh, bygone years have have thought about uh, and done those things uh, obviously there's a danger of, of elevating tradition so Jesus um, lays into the the religious leaders of his day for swapping out the word of God for their traditions Um but tradition can also be a good thing. Tradition can encapsulate uh, faithful ways of of following God's commands, faithful ways of passing on the truth. Uh, so even Paul says, First yeah. uh, Corinthians, Paul writes, you know, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. Uh, so tradition, like lots of things, is neutral. It can be, it can be bad. It can be good. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is the moment that you have sort of any group of people who are gathering around particular beliefs or practices, uh, from that moment on, you have some sort of tradition. So the moment you have, uh, you know, Christians who are gathered around the gospel or uh, believe in the gospel and want to pass the gospel on to others, from that moment on, you have a gospel tradition. And I think that's this idea that, um, you know, that we should look back to the traditions of the church, we should care about church history. It's really comes from a place of conviction that Jesus has given us the church uh, as well as the Bible. And he expects the Bible, uh, his word to be read within the context of that church. And also, uh, you know, as you were saying, it it sort of picks up on this idea of um, it's a humble posture uh, to take that. We don't know everything about the Bible and we have many blind spots when it comes to understanding the Bible. And every sort of period of time within church history, you can also look back and you can see, or they had particular blind spots that they weren't really aware of as they studied the Bible. And so if we want to try and discover what our blind spots are in our age, then the only sort of uh, remedy to that, uh, C.S. Lewis sort of said, was to let the clean breeze of the centuries, excuse me, uh, keep blowing through our minds. And so that's one of the things that we're aiming to do here. Um, We're aiming to allow the clean breeze of the centuries, particularly the centuries around uh, reformational uh, history within England. We we want to have that uh, clean breeze uh, be blowing through our minds. Great. Um, so I guess we want to think about what what is Anglicanism to begin with. Um, Anglicanism is uh, is Protestant. It's Reformed. It's Catholic and it's Patristic. Um, so first of all, Anglicanism is is Protestant. Those Protestants, up to no good as usual. <laughs> um, the obviously, there's been a church in Britain from probably the early third or fourth centuries, um, 
but Anglicanism, as we as we know it today, has been profoundly shaped by the events of the Reformation. Um, yeah, Ryan, if... I think you know a little bit more about this with Henry VIII. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but I just uh, for anyone out there who doesn't really know uh, what on earth that just was, that was a little clip from a TV show called Father Ted, uh, which is possibly the most Irish TV show that's ever been produced. And so we hope to get a couple of references on here and there to Father Ted. Uh, yeah, well, in terms of uh, the period of the Reformation, so everyone sort of knows the story of Henry VIII uh, seeking a divorce uh, from the Pope, uh, or more accurately, it was kind of an annulment. And part of the problem was uh, Henry had married his dead brother's wife, Catherine of Aragon, and Catherine had had six pregnancies uh, with Henry, uh, but the only surviving children were girls. And at, during Henry's time, it was unclear whether or not uh, a female could be a successor to the throne. Uh, he did have th- three boys, uh, but they all died uh, very tragically. And what happened was he came to be haunted by a verse in Leviticus, uh, Leviticus twenty twenty one, which declares that the one who has relations with his brother's wife will die childless. And over time, Henry basically began to think that he was sort of cursed by that verse. Uh, that he shouldn't have married his dead brother's wife. Um, and he, he was deeply worried about it. And so he sent uh, uh, word to the Pope. And whenever the Pope denied Henry an annulment, he eventually declared independency from the papacy uh, in the 1563 Act of Supremacy. And from that moment on, I guess you have the legal basis of the Reformation. Uh, and then what that kind of legal basis uh, allowed... The reformers to do was it allowed convinced theological theologically convinced protestants like thomas cranmer to build theologically upon uh, that legal independency from the pope and even up until her own day uh, whenever the queen was coronated she promised at her coronation to maintain in the united kingdom the protestant reformed religion as established by law yeah so obviously henry is Henry and Henry's story is kind of associated with uh, the beginnings of Reformational Anglicanism. Sometimes people use Henry's story to to write off Anglicanism as, oh, it's just the church that Henry started so he could uh, get a divorce. Yeah. Um, but obviously there were people in England uh, like Thomas Cramner, who was Archbishop of, of Canterbury, who were theologically minded and wanted to bring um, the, the gospel clarity of reformation theology to bear on the church in england um and they would have encapsulated uh their protestantism um under things like the five solas uh five solas are a common way of uh, talking about uh, what it means to be protestant sola is simply a, a latin word that means only or alone uh so the protestant reformers talked about these five solas they said uh, sola scriptura uh, the scriptures alone are um our highest authority, our sole highest authority. Um, so Article 6 of um, the Anglican Articles of Religion says that the Holy Scripture contains everything that is necessary to believe for salvation. Uh, so whatever is not there uh, or can't be proved from the Bible uh, isn't required to be believed. Um, that's not the case of all all denominations. Uh, so for example, say someone's... Uh, Say you see someone and they've just been hit by a bus. They're they're bleeding out. They've got a couple of minutes and you're trying to share the gospel with them um, because you want them to uh, to go to heaven. And you say, you explain the gospel and they say, you know, what? I, I believe that 
that I'm a sinner. I believe that I need Jesus. I believe that he uh, that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he's been raised for my justification. I believe that he is you know, sitting at the right hand of God, that he's going to return to judge the quick and the dead. I believe all that. And you're great. I'm just, I just can't, I'm just not sure about the bodily assumption of Mary. Now, for, for, uh, for a Roman Catholic, that would be a major issue because that's official Catholic dogma. Uh, but as Protestants, we would say, that's not something we get from the Bible. That's not something we require people to believe in order to be saved. Uh, if you believe what the Bible says, that's, that's all that we're required to believe. Phew. Uh, that's the only, the only final rule of faith. A few, indeed. Um, that means that no one can, can add things that we have to believe. Uh, it's only what's in the Bible. That means the Bible's the final authority to to settle all disputes as well. Um, and we see, you know, the the thirty nine articles, the ordinal, even the the Book of Common Prayer, those are saturated in uh, in Scripture, um, because the Bible is is central to uh, to the Reformation and to Reformation Anglicanism. Uh, so, sola scriptura, the Bible alone is our highest, uh, our our sole final authority. Uh, sola fide. Um, faith alone um so how how are we made right with god how are we justified it's by faith alone it's not by anything we contribute it's not uh through our church attendance our participation in the sacraments anything like that um we're justified we're declared righteous because we we trust in jesus and as we trust in him and his death on the cross his his perfect righteousness is is counted to us and our sin is counted to him on the cross uh, so that's soul of fide um, there's also sola gratia, uh, grace alone. Um, so God is not moved to save us by uh, any worthiness, any deservingness on our part. Um, he's simply moved by his own grace, his own uh, free mercy, if you like. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that more when we come to to think about what it means to be reformed. Um, also got sola Christ, solus Christus, um, which means in Christ alone. Uh, so there's no other uh, mediator, no one else who stands between God and humanity. Uh, there's no other, um, we don't have co-mediators or anything like that uh, in the biblical understanding of the gospel. And we don't look to any other uh, religions. Uh, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven given for people to be saved. Uh, there's salvation in Jesus. It's free. It's by faith alone, through grace alone. Um, but it's only in Christ. Um and the final sola is sole deo gloria, uh, glory to God alone. Um, we don't contribute anything to our salvation. Uh, it's all of God. And so all the credit, all the praise, all the glory goes to God. And that's that's the five solas. That, that's what really it means to be uh, shorthand for what it means to be Protestant. Amen. So what about uh, reform then? Uh, well, I guess whenever most people think uh, about Reformed theology, they think about uh, kind of Calvinistic uh, sort of doctrine. And those are some of the doctrines that we see um, within uh, the Anglican formularies. So uh, we have this idea of sort of total depravity, that the idea, uh, the idea is that every part of our nature is corrupted in some way by sin. Uh, if you have a big barrel of water on one hand and you also have a big barrel of sewage, the moment you take a cup of sewage uh, and pour it into the barrel of water, you now have two barrels of sewage. And so uh, every aspect of our nature in that sense is corrupted uh, by the fall and by the effects of sin. 
Uh, we are hashtag toots depraved, as I uh, heard recently on another podcast. And what that means is that none of us sort of turn around, none of us choose God. Uh, all of us are dead. All of us are spiritually unable to choose God. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father, no one comes uh, to me unless the Father draws him. Uh, and in this sense, um, we as Anglicans believe in a monergistic salvation. That is a salvation that's completely and totally of God. And the alternative to that is a synergistic view of salvation. So what would a synergistic view of salvation look like? Well, it might look like uh, you are in the middle of the ocean and you're drowning and you're gasping for air and you haven't eaten for days and you're completely uh, famished and you have basically no hope left. And you know that in the next couple of uh, minutes and seconds that you are going to drown and die and uh, fall to the bottom of the ocean floor. And then just at the right moment, uh, along comes Jesus and he comes along in a helicopter and he comes down uh, on a rope and he reaches out his hand and he says to you, will you just uh, reach out and grab my hand and decide uh, that you want to choose me and then I will lift you up and I will you know, fly away and you'll be saved. And so salvation is 99.99% Jesus and 0.11 uh, or 0.00% us. So that's a synergistic view of salvation. What would be a monergistic view of salvation? Well, a monergistic view of salvation would be not that we are gasping for air at the top of the ocean, but that we are already at the bottom of the uh, seafloor and we are already dead. And what does Jesus do? Jesus again comes along and he dives down uh, from heaven uh, down to the bottom of the ocean floor. He breathes new life into us. He gives us his spirit. He lifts up. He resurrects uh, us from the dead. And he brings us all the way up to the top of the ocean. And he flies up and we go off to heaven and we be with him forever. And so in that sense, salvation, we believe, is completely and totally 100% of God. It's not even the choice that we make to turn and believe in him is actually something that God gives us, uh, which really reinforces that idea that all glory goes to God because it's 100% him and 0% us. And that kind of reinforces uh, the idea of predestination as well. Uh, God chooses those who would be saved. And uh, we can talk about that, I'm sure, uh, on another episode. And then lastly, uh, we have, uh, I guess, a reformed view of the sacraments. Uh, whenever you look at the articles and what they say about baptism and the Lord's Supper, we see clearly uh, the Church of England was in harmony with the other Reformed churches at the time in their understanding of the sacraments. So Anglicanism is is Protestant, it's Reformed, but um, maybe seemingly paradoxically, it's also Catholic. Uh, so I grew up in a uh, Church of Ireland church, and some people back back in Ireland, uh, even if they don't know much about, about church, about the Bible, they know for definite that they're they're Protestant or they're they're Catholic. Um, sometimes you'd see uh, visitors to church or people who maybe belonged and only came um, once a year, came for baptism or something like that. And we'd be reading out uh, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And they'd say, um, you know, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And, and people start to look around, you know, are we, are we in the right place? Um, so the Anglican Church is, is, is Protestant, Reformed and Catholic. Uh, so what do we what do we mean by that? Um well, Catholic means according to the whole. 
Um, so that means that uh, the Anglican Church doesn't see itself as as the one true church. Uh, it's not sectarian in that sense. Um, rather, the, the Anglican Church sees itself as as part of the worldwide church, uh, part of the the people of God, those who are trusting in Jesus, who are united to Him by faith. Um, that means that we um, we understand ourselves to have uh, not just five hundred years of church history, but uh, two thousand years of church history. Uh, the church fathers are ours. The creeds are ours. Um, all all of that that uh, that run up that history before the Reformation that all belongs to us as part of um, as part of the Church Catholic. As uh, so we were saying, that's part of our um, part of our family history. Uh, that means Anglicanism places a high value on things like the creeds. Uh, the creeds are are a product of the early church where they had um, uh, bishops and representatives coming from all around the world to settle uh, certain uh, certain discussions in really firm technical language say this is what the church this is what Christ's people believe. Uh, those are those are ecumenical creeds. They belong to the whole church. Uh, or as Father Jack would say, that would be an ecumenical matter. Um, there's a great quote from um, the rule of Vincent of Lerins. He says that we, we pay attention to how scripture has been interpreted uh, by everyone, always, and by all. Um, again, this comes back to simply uh, that humble posture of um, not picking up the Bible and thinking we are the first generation to read this, the first generation to try and understand it. Um, rather, we, we stand in this great tradition of the church uh, so we have the benefit of um, of how the church has always read scripture together. Uh, you know, Ephesians four says that Jesus has given uh, not just the the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but the gift of of pastors and teachers to uh, to help us understand what it means to live as Christians today. Um, Paul even calls the church the uh, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Um, so we are part of um, the Church Catholic. Um, part of the worldwide people of Christ. Cool. So we are uh, Protestants, Reformed, we're Catholics. Uh, and then this last point, we weren't really sure how to um, exactly describe it, but I think Patristic uh, sums it up nicely. And this very much ties in with what Sam was just saying. And it's just the fact that um, within the English Reformation uh, and within the sort of standards of Anglicanism and the liturgy, uh, in the articles and the homilies, there's a high regard for the early centuries of the church uh, and for the church fathers. So in the liturgy, for example, uh, you see um, kind of throughout the Book of Common Prayer some of the ancient songs of the church. Um, so the Agnus Dei or Te Deum or some of these other kind of old songs that have been sung by the church for a long time, the Gloria uh, as well, both the shorter Gloria and the longer Gloria. In the articles, it refers to, at various points, what uh, the Church Fathers said. And then also in the homilies, uh, all throughout the homilies, really, it sort of uh, has little quotes um, saying, you know, as Chrysostom said, or as St. Augustine said, or other sort of uh, great theologians from the early centuries of the Church. And I think that gave Anglicanism a kind of conservative character uh, through the Reformation. So I think it's true to say in some ways uh, that Anglicanism was the most kind of conservative uh, aspect of the Reformed churches. We've been uh, bishops, priests, and deacons, and 
aspects of the liturgy and things like that we wanted to maintain. But these uh, church fathers, I think they're they're still important to us for two reasons. First of all, some of the early church fathers uh, were actually trained by the apostles or they were trained by people who were trained by the apostles or maybe they were third generation trained by people who were trained by people who were trained by the apostles. And so they had that kind of apostolic uh, deposit and they had some of the interpretations, I guess, of scripture itself that we wouldn't have. And then secondly, the church fathers were really those people who helped to formulate and articulate things like the doctrine of the Trinity or uh, the person of Christ or these really central doctrines that we hold to be really important to our faith. And so if they you know, went to all that work, uh, articulating really important teachings like the Trinity or the person of Christ, then it probably makes sense that we pay attention to what they said. So there's a quote by uh, Lancelot Andrews. Um, sometimes brought out in relation to Anglicanism. Uh, As Anglicans, we believe uh, in one canon, one Bible, written by God himself with two testaments, three creeds, four general councils, and the first five centuries of the church. And the series of the fathers in that period determined the boundary of our faith. So that's what Ansela Andrews said. And then uh, one of the canons of the early English Reformation said that preachers... Uh, chiefly shall take heed that they teach nothing in their preaching which uh, they cannot, um, but that which is agreeable to the doctrine of the Old and New Testaments and which the Catholic fathers and ancient bishops have gathered out of that doctrine. And so these Protestant reformers at the time of the Reformation wanted to go back to the teaching of Scripture and they wanted to go back to the teaching of the early church fathers. So that's us. Uh, we've said that we are Protestant, uh, Reformed, Catholic and Patristic. So I think that's a nice way to sum up what Reformation Anglicanism is all about. <laughs> As you might be thinking at the end of that, um, how does this actually uh, help us today as Christians? Uh, the prayer book is full of, of references to the comfort that, that God brings. Uh, the reason that guys like Cranmer uh, were willing to put their, their life on the line for the sake of the Reformation is that they had clearly experienced the comfort of uh, the good news that salvation is by faith alone, uh, the good news that Jesus is able to save to the utmost his people. Um, the prayer book, the articles, uh, all of that, they, they came out of a time of uh, real instability, um, political instability, religious instability, there's wars and... Um, all sorts of craziness. Um, and yet our world feels uh, just as unstable today. Um, so these doctrines, um, they have a real uh, proven track record of uh, of giving Christ's people um, nourishment and comfort and assurance. Uh, I think that's something we need today. Um, Ashley Null, who we, we referenced before, he is... Probably, like, probably the world expert on Cranmer. Um, he's been spending years editing Cranmer's notebooks, but he also uh, is involved in ministry as uh, a chaplain to uh, to elite athletes. Uh, he says all he does is he simply gives them Cranmer for jocks. He takes Cranmer's um, Cranmer's insights into the the gospel, uh, the 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 beauty and the comfort of. 
uh, that reality of justification by faith alone, that we don't bring anything to God. Uh, we just come with empty hands and cling to the cross and that that's enough. Uh, Cramer says that's that's what fuels his uh, his ministry um, and that's what fuels our uh, our faith and our hope today. Yeah. And also, uh, Dr. Ashton's chapter in Reformation Anglicanism, one of the chapters is called The Power of Unconditional Love uh, in the Anglican Reformation. And so I think, yeah, well, during that chapter, he sort of outlines how the understanding of God's amazing unconditional love was such a fuel for people during the time of the Reformation. And that, that's really just putting those, um, you know, that's really just with pointing to these timeless principles, which, um, Anglican reformers so helpfully articulated for us and which can give us so much comfort and hope uh, and assurance uh, during a time that feels so unstable as you're saying absolutely uh it's probably time to draw stumps um but thank you very much for for staying with us this far um if you're interested we've got a bit of a, a plan for the future of the podcast uh we're hoping to record hopefully a podcast each week over the summer uh, for some of those, we'll be discussing uh, a topic about Reformation Anglicanism. Um, for some of the series, some of the podcasts, we'll be going through uh, what's called the Book of Homilies. Um, the homilies were simply uh, pre-packaged sermons that were, were written by Cranmer and others during the, the English Reformation, uh, basically for um, for parishes where maybe there was a, a priest who didn't really know how to how to preach. Uh, wasn't really au fait with how to communicate the uh, the Reformation doctrine. Um, and those are part of our, our tradition as, as Anglicans. And we're going to be uh, doing readings of those, um, pu- pu- putting those out as, as podcast episodes. Um, hopefully that'll be, uh, that'll make those a little bit more accessible and we'll be able to, uh, to enjoy the, um, the way that they bring out, bring out that Reformational Anglican theology in a, a deeply pastoral and devotional way. Mm. Great. And uh, when we're not reading those, uh, we'll be chatting through some other topic related to uh, Reformation Anglicanism. We hope to maybe do a few interviews in time uh, with people who are experts in these topics and who know uh, a lot more than we do. Uh, so if you have enjoyed what you've heard today, thank you so much for sticking with us uh, for the full half an hour. Uh, if you enjoy what you heard today, then please do subscribe. Uh, please do like, please leave a review on iTunes. Uh, we'll also soon be making a Facebook group, so look out for that and please do join it in time. Um, and uh, as we've been thinking about what God has given us in the church, uh, I thought we'd pray by praying a thanksgiving for the church. Let's pray. Almighty God, whose mercy is over all thy works, we praise thee for the blessings which have been brought to mankind by thy holy church throughout all the world. We bless thee for the grace of thy sacraments, for our fellowship in Christ with thee and with one another, for the teaching of the scriptures and for the preaching of thy word. We thank thee for the holy example of thy saints in all ages, for thy servants departed in this life in thy faith and fear, for the good memory and example of all that has been true and good in their lives. And we humbly beseech thee that we may be numbered with them in the great company of the redeemed in heaven. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.